Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 236 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, RingTV.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel. We got a lot to discuss. Going to have a great show. After a week off, we are back. Michael Codlin is going to join us on the show in a little bit. Also, we'll talk about Canelo Alvarez and the complete mess between him, his lawyers, Golden Boy Promotions, and The Zone. We'll talk about the Charlo doubleheader pay-per-view price being set and some other stuff. A little review, preview action, some data science on some Twitter polls that I posted recently, and all sorts of good stuff. So guys, uh, before I get started here, quick reminder as always, make sure that you punch that like button right now, that thumbs up. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on Spreaker, and everywhere else on all the other audio platforms. Always, you know, leave a rating, a review. Make sure you're following me. If you're subscribed to the Ring Digital YouTube channel, make sure you click that notification bell. All sorts of ratings, reviews, clicks, likes, uh, subscribes, all that stuff. Trying to think of every damn possible word. You guys know what I'm talking about. All those things, that's what helps me the most. If you want to help out financially with Montero Unboxing, we have a Patreon page, Montero Unboxing uh, on Patreon. Just look it up. And you can help us out there. I'm still working on getting some MOB tees together. I wanted to get some new designs for this year. COVID kind of screwed up some plans that I had with that. We had uh, one t-shirt guy that we were going to work with. And that kind of fell through because of COVID. Because I think um, he ended up losing his business, sadly. So uh, we're still working on that. Okay, guys. But uh, all that's coming down the line. All right, let's jump right into the news real quick. Uh, see a few of you guys on the chat. Thank you so much for being on. I love it. We got... Birdie's on the chat. What's up, Birdie? Uh, hashtag the Conlon Revolution. That's awesome, bro. I'm so glad to have you on, man. Uh, yes, we will have Mr. Conlon on in about 30 minutes. Uh, Michael Conlon, uh, great-looking prospect, of course, out of Ireland. Everybody remembers him giving the finger to the judges in the 2016 Real Games after he was flat-out robbed. Of course, we'll talk to him about that and some other stuff. Okay, let's jump right into the Canelo lawsuit situation. So, Last week, I did a video on my YouTube channel, Montero Unboxing, uh, just talking about the lawsuit itself and what we know so far. So I'm not going to repeat too much of that. You guys know by now, Canelo is suing the zone. He wants out of the deal. He's, I think, asking for $280 million in damages. But not just them, his promoter, Golden Boy Promotions, because he says they didn't look out for him. And apparently, the big sticking point started last September, basically a year ago this time, right around Mexican Independence Day, that weekend, that holiday, where DAZN wanted that third Golovkin fight. Apparently, I'm going to say allegedly because we don't have this in writing yet. We don't know for sure. But apparently, allegedly, Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy Promotions were on board with that. And they told DAZN when they inked this deal two years ago in late 2018, hey, we're going to give you that third fight between Golovkin. So go ahead and set him up too. And we'll get that, you know, that rubber match, if you will, that third fight, because I still feel Golovkin clearly won the first fight. The rubber match that most people still wanted. There are a few people out there that said, oh, I don't need to see that fight again. But most fight fans wanted to see that fight for a third time. And certainly DeZone did. So did Golden Boy, apparently. But according to Canelo Alvarez, he wasn't made aware that he was expected to fight Golovkin ever again, and he didn't want to. Not because he's scared of Golovkin, not because there wasn't enough money on the table, because there was. In fact, it was the most lucrative fight he could do, he could take. 
It's just because he doesn't like Golovkin and doesn't want to take that fight again. He doesn't want to do business with Golovkin because Gennady had the audacity to call him out over the performance-enhancing drugs thing with clenbuterol. I'm not going to go back into that and beat a dead horse there. I think it's kind of petty, obviously. That's how I thought last year. I still feel the same way. It felt kind of diva-ish from Canelo. Uh, Look, Golovkin also talked some trash about Oscar De La Hoya, remember? I think there was an interview from the gym in Big Bear, California, where Gennady just went off. It kind of revealed his true personality a little bit for the first time in front of American fight fans on camera. Those of us around the fight beat in, in the Los Angeles area, we had seen Gennady talk and act that way off camera. But a lot of you guys out there for the first time saw him act that way on camera and kind of turn heel a little bit. And uh, that's more his true personality, but he didn't just call out Canelo. He talked some trash about Oscar De La Hoya. Oscar was still wanting to do business with him because I guess Oscar's kind of old school and was like, listen, if you're talking trash about me, I want to get in the ring with you and handle business in the ring. That makes me want to fight you that much more. And Canelo is just kind of the opposite. So anyway, uh, now apparently that lawsuit has been dismissed by a court over a technicality, basically, verbiage. In the actual lawsuit, I'm not going to get into the details with that and bore the shit out of you. But, so Canelo's team still has time to amend it. I expect them to do that. I expect them to amend it and redo the lawsuit. I don't think they're just going to go away. But they have a certain amount of time to amend the the verbiage issues in the lawsuit and, and reissue it, which I think that they will probably do. I hope not, but probably it's it's likely that they will. I still think it's a bad look from all parties involved. All parties have fault in this. But from a public relations standpoint, from a PR standpoint, it's a bad look from Canelo. And I've been saying that since the lawsuit was made public. Uh, So I did a couple of polls. I just really, really quickly want to go over this. I talked about, uh, this was like a week ago. I asked you guys on Twitter, uh, how much do you care if Canelo Alvarez doesn't fight at all in 2020? Almost uh, over 700 of you voted, and 71% of you said, I couldn't care less. Only 28% of you said, I care a lot. So uh, that's very telling. I also had uh, a different, this is unrelated. Uh, You know what? There's another poll related to the Charlo pay-per-view. I'll talk about that in a second. So anyway, I thought that was very telling. That shows me, and I'm not the only one, I think, that did a poll like that on Twitter related to this situation, that... A lot of you out there are just starting to get burnt out by the diva bullshit. And that's just the era that we live in. Now, Canelo's hardly the first diva to be the face of boxing. Uh, Canelo Alvarez, you know, before him, it was Floyd Mayweather. Before him, it was Oscar. And I can go on and on, going all the way back. A lot of these guys are divas. Most star athletes are divas. But Floyd Mayweather got that huge contract from Showtime slash CBS slash Viacom. And, you know, at the time it was record-breaking and he made all sorts of money, right? But I think I've talked about this at length. There were six fights, and I want to say four of the six lost money. I believe it was four of the six. The fights that made money, obviously, were his his fight with Canelo Alvarez, which was somewhat of a passing of the torch of, hey, you're going to be the next dude when I'm gone. That was a business move on both sides. You know, the timing of when that fight happened and how it happened, it was kind of a business move. And then, of course, the Floyd-Manny fight. That is the big cash out where everybody ate. And then later on, when Floyd fought Conor, that wasn't related to that contract. That was a one-off. But everybody made a shitload of money on that one because uh, the purses involved 
were uh, even more favorable to, to the Mayweather side and the boxing side of that. So I talked about this before, man. I think Floyd was the last guy that was able to kind of pull that bait and switch routine and that, um, I don't know what other phraseology to use to describe it, but he was able to sell all of the boxing uh, world. It promised them a certain product and it didn't necessarily deliver in the ring. You didn't get this, these action fights, really exciting, thrilling fights. He didn't fight guys at their best. He was able to basically run a commission. He still has huge influence in the Nevada commission, power and influence there. He fought in very controlled situations in that commission that he ran, made guys move up, made guys move down, fought them past their prime, fought them before their prime. He was the guy that could dictate all those terms. And I think a lot of these new fighters think, oh, I want to do the same thing. I want to be the new Floyd. I want that. I want to have that money and I want to manipulate the fans the way he did. And like Canelo just did with the Sergey Kovalev fight. You guys know what that was. I think a lot of fighters want to do that now, but everyone forgets, man, before Floyd was money made, he was pretty boy. Back when he was with top rank, he, Floyd was smart. He signed with the right promoter that knows how to develop prospects. And Floyd did a, laid a lot of groundwork that paved the way for the success he had in the future, okay? And then when he was Money May, yes, I talked about all the selective opportunistic matchmaking. Yeah, 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 we got it. He still promoted the damn events. And he went. He did things that crossed over. He went on Dancing with the Stars, and I think he did WWE. He did that sort of stuff to appeal to a, a greater audience. He tried to speak different languages. He went over to the UK. I believe he went over to the UK to help promote the fight with Hatton. That, that expanded his brand over there. He, he marketed himself to the Mexican and Mexican-American fan base. Floyd ain't Mexican, but he fought every year around Cinco de Mayo and around Mexican Independence Day weekend. He expanded himself to a broader base of fans. And Canelo Alvarez just does not seem interested or particularly concerned about doing that. That's his prerogative. It is his prerogative. But if this is your face of boxing, and here's a controversial hot take from me, okay? If Canelo Alvarez is the current face of boxing, and this is a guy that's unwilling to speak English publicly, this is a guy who's unwilling to go above and beyond the obligatory media stuff, okay? Uh, it's one thing to live up to your contract and, and do all the media stuff to promote a fight. It's another thing to go above and beyond. And between fights, market yourself. Canelo's not interested in doing that. He doesn't have a big personality. He's not very good on the mic. He's not very good on camera. If this is your face of boxing, boxing's going to struggle in this era. Boxing's going to struggle to appeal to casual fans and cross over. If you're the zone and this is the guy that you bought all in on, paying him money like a Floyd Mayweather, like a Tyson Fury might become the next guy. Maybe it's Tyson Fury. Uh, even paying him even better than a Manny Pacquiao, who I still say globally is a bigger name than Canelo Alvarez. And with casual fans, he's a bigger name of all active fighters. I think a much bigger name globally with casuals than Canelo Alvarez is. If you're zone and you went all in on this dude, man, you should have did your homework. You should have talked to people involved in the boxing world that understand. They could have told you, this ain't the dude. This ain't the dude to guarantee. Guys, 11 fights. 
$365 million. You're guaranteeing $35 million a fight. How many names are there for him to fight? Not many. And he's not seemingly not willing to take on these top guys all the time. Now, you could say, well, he fought Sergey Kovalev. He moved up two weight classes. Guys, again, that's opportunistic. We can read between the lines and see what was really going on there. The quick turnaround for Kovalev. He's passed his prime. He was almost knocked out and took a beating in the fight before, even though he came back and won it by knockout. Uh, there's, you know, I can, we've beaten this horse to death. I'm just saying, as long as this guy is the face of boxing, it's healthy in terms of financials because the Mexican and Mexican American fan base show up and spend their money and they will continue to support Canelo. But in the mainstream casual crossover sense, Canelo is never going to be that dude. If he's the face of boxing right now, boxing is going to struggle in the mainstream. Look at the pay-per-view numbers recently. I ain't got to, I ain't got to go over them. You guys know, um, I just, that's just the writings on the wall. That's what I see. Now there's guys coming up, Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney. Uh, there's others that I could name that I think have crossover potential. They are good on the mic. They are good on camera. They can cross over to multiple different universes and cross over to casuals. We just don't know if they can fight yet. We know Canelo can fight his ass off. He's one of the best fighters in the world. I just don't think the guy is a crossover superstar. I just don't think he is. And anyway, went on a rant here, but that's what I see with the Canelo Alvarez situation. And I think this lawsuit's going to continue, but it really comes down to what's in the contract. It really comes down to, is there a force majeure con uh, clause in the contract to protect uh, Golden Boy, to protect the zone? If there is... Canelo doesn't have a leg to stand on here. I got to say, you know, what made me think about all this and what made me want to rant a little bit, guys, this is the second year in a row where around Mexican Independence Day weekend, we had shit fights. I'm not trying to shit on the fighters who fought, and some of the fights were actually pretty decent. I shouldn't say shit fights. But this has traditionally been the biggest weekend of the year in boxing for years, for years, even before Floyd's era. And... The last two years, a lot of people are at fault for this, okay? But last year, we got uh, Fury-Valine, which wasn't a very great fight. Last weekend, we got uh, the Mean Machine, Kavliowskis against Michael Zuski. That wasn't particularly an outstanding fight. Ended up being pretty good action, but it wasn't a very important fight. We should have had bigger events on that weekend. It didn't happen. And although many people are responsible, the biggest name attached to it is Canelo Alvarez. Okay, let's talk about the Charlo Twins pay-per-view. So September 26th, you guys know by now, it's Charlo Derevianchenko, it's Charlo Rosario. Those are very good fights. Um, I, I'm starting to get more and more of a gut feel about how those fights will go. I'm going to wait a while. I'm going to wait a week or so to you know we'll preview those. We'll wait till they get closer. But pay-per-view price was announced at $75. Now, some people on Twitter, people are always outraged on boxing Twitter over something. So they had to be outraged on that particular day about this price. Are any of you surprised? Are any of you surprised that this pay-per-view is $75? Were you expecting $45? Were you expecting anything less than this? I'm, you know, I'm surprised it's not $85. I, I guess they were doing everyone a solid by knocking off five, ten bucks and keeping it in the 70s. But I'm not surprised by this at all. So, 
I've said it before, but I'll say it again. I like this card. Top to bottom, it might be the best card in PBC history. It really might. It's certainly among the top five. All right. It, top to bottom, it's the best card of the year, without a doubt. However, imagine if this was on Fox. Imagine if this was on free TV on Fox. I think that there would be tremendous potential here. However, the people involved in the promotion couldn't secure enough money. They couldn't get the networks involved to put up enough money to give out the purses that the fighters wanted. So the people involved, including at the network level, just simply didn't have the confidence to be able to pay out that much money. Some quick math, guys. All right. If this pay-per-view does 150,000 buys, and I think that's a big if, but if it does, I, I think it actually it's not a big if. I, I think it could. I really think it could. That's about $5 million in revenue for the promotion. Okay. After uh, the network and the streaming services, they all get their cut. It's about $5 million in revenue for the promotion. Now, normally, if you added that with gate revenue, your live ticket sales, merchandising, all that stuff, sponsors, then you'd be doing pretty damn good. But $5 million, you know, you got to figure that's about $2 million each for each Charlo brother if it does 150,000 views. I'm just trying to give you guys an idea of the pay scale involved. If it does 200,000 pay-per-view buys, now to me, that's a big if. That's a big if. I would be very pleasantly surprised just for the for the sake of boxing, if this does north of 200,000 buys, that's about $7 million in revenue, which would be maybe about $3 million for each Charlo brother, okay? And then everybody else, they whack it up, everybody else. And there's other streams involved that will bring money. There's some foreign TV money and things like that. So that's not the only revenue to coming in. But just to give you guys an idea of the pay skills, the reason why I mention that is because Lomachenko versus Lopez, that was announced for October 17th on regular ESPN. And this is a situation where the network and the promotion believed enough in the fight, in the product, to put up the money and put it on regular cable TV. Now, uh, you know, ESPN isn't completely free. It's part of your cable bill, if you will, but it's almost free. <laughs> but they believed enough in this product to put it on regular ESPN and not go pay-per-view. And Vasily Lomachenko, who is among the top two or three best fighters in the world, pound for pound, two-time Olympic gold medalist. He's won titles at different weights, right? Uh, one of the best schedules, one of the best resumes for a guy with under 20 pro fights that we've ever seen, certainly up there toward the top. And he took a pay cut to make this fight happen. Also, so did the challenger, Teofimo Lopez. This is a fight where he he's favored to lose betting odds have him losing so he could lose his o in this fight and there's a lot of fighters out there so horrified of losing their o they would demand more money right he actually he did demand more money at one point but in the end it is a pay cut from what was originally uh, negotiated so both of these guys were willing to take a cut and the network was willing to put up more money the promoter was willing to do extra negotiations and get things done because they all believed in the product. That's a huge difference between the Lopez-Lomachenko fight and the Charlo pay-per-view doubleheader. Now, that being said, I like the Charlo doubleheader. It's a, it's a better card top to bottom than Lomachenko-Lopez. Lomachenko-Lopez is a better main event. It's the better fight. It's got the more proven talent on it. But... 
just difference there, guys. Difference in priorities and difference in the way people do business and how it affects you. Now, about that Twitter uh, Twitter poll that I told you guys about before, I uh, I asked you, considering the pre-COVID price tag of $75, do you plan on buying the Charlo pay-per-view or will you free stream it or not watch it at all? Now, about 20% of you said that you were going to buy it. Over 600 of you voted. 50% of you said team stream, which does not surprise me. I would say about half of all the pay-per-views now are streamed. It might even be more than half of the global viewership, but I'm just sticking with American viewership. Over half of the viewership is at least streaming it for free. What surprised me is 30% of you said you're not watching. Now that surprised me because this is a good card. This is a really good card. And I'm curious why 30% of you are not interested. So if any of you guys out there watching right now, listening right now, voted in that poll, uh, it said that you're not going to watch this fight. Or even if you didn't, and you just you don't plan on watching the Charlo uh, doubleheader. I want to know why. So get in on the chat live here on YouTube or call in later. 213-267-7787. You see the number behind me, okay? Over in the UK, you guys got a toll-free line too. But I want to know, if you're not going to watch that card, why? Because that is a solid card, man. It's a very solid card. Also, uh, just announced, Brady versus Dorticos, uh, the World Boxing Super Series Cruiserweight finale that wasn't. Finally is going to happen September 26th, the same day as that Charlo pay-per-view. As far as I know, that's on the zone. So the zone has a really, really good fight there. I don't know how many of you are still subscribed to the zone or what, but if you are, that fight will be available. All right, we have a super chat pledge from Trent Nonpareil. Thank you so much, Trent. We appreciate it, brother. He says, yo, Patty Donovan looks great under Andy Lee. Would Conlon be interested in training with Andy, or is he happy with Adam? Groves has money problems with both. Interesting question, bro. I'll ask Michael that that same question. So, um, yeah, he started training with Adam, I want to say, in 2018. And I was going to ask him about that. But, um, yeah, we'll bring up Andy Lee, and we'll see what he thinks. All right, man? Appreciate the super chat, brother. Okay. A few of you guys in the chat are saying that the Charlo's pay-per-view is too expensive. You're not going to buy it. I get that. But I'm wondering, you know, there's a difference between, not that I'm supporting illegal free streaming. I'm just saying there's a difference between watching it for free on a stream and flat out refusing to watch it. And 30% of you in my poll said that you just ain't going to watch it at all. And I found that very, very curious. So I'd like to know why. I really, really would. Because in my opinion, regardless, it's one thing, you know, maybe you don't like the Charlo Brothers attitude or something like that. There's a lot of people out there that love their attitude, you know, um, because they play the heel and they do it well. And you need the heel in boxing. That's part of it. You need those personalities. So I think they have good personalities for boxing. But I'm curious, even if you don't like them, their personalities, wouldn't that make you want to tune in to watch them, quote unquote, lose? You know, like 30% of you saying you're not going to watch it. That's interesting. Let's see. Uh, Justin in the chat says, I guarantee some of that 30% will stream it, Mike. Yeah, I agree with you there. <laughs> I totally agree with you. All right, guys, really quick review uh, before Michael Conlon calls in. So I didn't have a show last weekend. You guys, you know, know I got married recently and I've taken a couple of weeks to celebrate with family and everything. I've still posted a lot of work. 
I posted the article on ringtv.com last week about the Canelo lawsuit. I've been posting a lot of you know stuff on my channel, but I just didn't do a show last week. Um, so let's go back a couple weeks. Saturday, September 5th on ESPN+. Plus, Jamel Herring wins by eighth round disqualification over Jonathan Akendo. Took a lot of criticism because some people out there, including the ESPN commentary crew, accused him of quitting. And look, you guys know that I like Jamel. I think he's a cool guy. We've had him on the show. Um, I'll admit, I, I don't I don't talk to fighters a whole lot. I try not to make it a point to do that. I actually texted Jamel after this fight. And I just said, like, dude, ignore these fucking people on Twitter. They're idiots. These people have never fought. They don't know what they're talking about. Just ignore these people. Uh, because he was just getting bombarded online with criticism. I find it very, very interesting. that You guys all know that Herring has uh, a career-defining fight and a career-high payday lined up with Carl Frampton. And now, because of the injuries he suffered in the fight with Okendo, that's going to be pushed to early next year. It was supposed to happen earlier this year, but of course, the global pandemic, blah, blah, blah. But knowing that that fight's down the line, pitching a virtual shutout against Okendo, and I don't care who the hell, there were some people out there including Andre Ward, that had this, like, an even fight just about. Guys, go back and watch the damn fight again. This was a near shutout from Herring. Eight rounds were in. At best, you could give Okendo two rounds. At best. You could honestly make a fair case, 8-0 for Herring. But he he got headbutt and cut badly in the fifth round. He fought three rounds with the cut. Fought three rounds with an eye that he couldn't see well out of. Turns out he had a scratched cornea. I've, I've been there before. If any of you guys have ever scratched a cornea, it sucks. And uh, that's, that was the injury. There was also, a, a, I think, an orbital bone fracture from a previous fight that didn't quite heal correctly that got re-injured in this fight. So he fights three rounds with it and then ultimately tells his corner, I can't see, fight's over. He wins by decision on the cards. And he's criticized by Tim Bradley, Andre Ward, First of all, I find it funny Andre Ward criticizing. Andre Ward used headbutts, and he got dirty, and he's admitted it. And Okendo is fighting very, very dirty. The difference with Ward is he would fight dirty, but there was some skill mixed in. Okendo didn't do anything except headbutt the hell out of Herring. Herring, you could argue. Now, people have said he was looking for a way out. He quit. I don't agree with that. I think he was looking down the line and making maybe a business move. I'm going to play devil's advocate here and go along with some of these conspiracy theories. Okay, he's making a business decision. And he's saying, dude, every headbutt I take is an extra stitch I might need, an extra week or two I might need of rehab, a potential surgery I have to have. I need to think about that Frampton fight. I'm way ahead in the cards. Let's just go to the scorecards and get this night over with. Okay, I'll entertain that theory. That's different from quitting. Quitting is when you're getting your ass beat and you're being outclassed. Quitting is what Guillermo Rigadiao did against Vasilya Lomachenko. Jamel Herring did not quit against Okendo. Did I just say Guillermo Rigadiao? Guillermo Rigadiao quit against Vasily Lomachenko. Okay, I just want to make sure I got the names right there. Okay. Jamel Herring did not quit against Jonathan Okendo. He maybe made a business decision, right? He maybe thought about his future and said, hey, let me, get, let me quit while I'm ahead. Let me, not physically quit, but let me 
It's an expression. Quit while I'm ahead. Okay. Guys, some of the very same group of you criticizing this man for, the, for that decision, if that's what he did, are the same group of people that praise other fighters for making business decisions like this uh, all the time. I just feel you, a lot of you guys move the goalposts depending on what promoters involved, what fighters involved. I hear a lot of people online saying stuff like, oh, man, Floyd Mayweather's playing chess while the rest of you are playing checkers, right? You hear expressions like that all the time. Well, here's a man that made a business decision. If you're going along with this theory, thinking about another fight down the line, here's a guy who's been through a lot more harsh situations in the ring and out of the ring and never quit before. And you guys are criticizing him. I just think there's a lot of hypocrisy and double standards there. I don't think Herring did a damn thing wrong. And I think he's going to look much better against Carl Frampton. This is a similar situation to Jose Carlos Ramirez against Victor Postal. He didn't look great, but that fight was canceled like three or four times. It got delayed over and over and over. The, you know, you're going into multiple camps. It got drawn out. It's the same thing with Jamel Herring and Okendo. That fight was put on hold, canceled. There was positive COVID tests, the negative COVID test, weights up and down. So this entire situation was a very ugly one for Jamel Herring. He's passed it. I think he's going to look much better against Carl Frampton than he did against Okendo. The same way I think Jose Ramirez is going to look better against Josh Taylor than he just did against Victor Postal. All right, also on that weekend, on Sunday, September 6th, Jordanus Ugas split decision win over Abel Ramos. Somehow, somehow, Lou Moret had at 117-111 for Ramos, which I think is nine rounds to three for Ramos, which is a disgusting scorecard. It's one of the shittiest scorecards we have seen in recent memory. Thank God the other two judges, whose scorecards were not very good, they weren't very good, but thank God their scorecards went for the right man. So the right man won, which thank, thank the boxing gods for that. Because Ordenis Ugas has come up short in other decisions in the past, and it's hard not to feel for the guy. It really, really is. And for whatever reason, I think every time he's in L.A., he suffers at the hands of the judges. But real quick, ratings news. Uh, this, this card averaged over a million viewers which is the best uh, PBC has had since the comeback from COVID. And it peaked at 1.2 million viewers, over 1.2 million. So good ratings for people. Not great, but good ratings. It's a step in the right direction. It's, it's a shame that with over a million people watching, the scores had to be so shitty because everyone and their mother knows Ugas won this fight. But Lou Moret, I like Lou. He's had a great career, made a major contribution to the sport of boxing. Absolutely deserves that gold watch. Should never have to buy a ticket to any other fight that he ever wants to go to for the rest of his life. He should have a free ticket to any fight he ever wants to go to. However, he is well past his due date. And I don't want to get into age discrimination. I don't think that in, in, in boxing we need to have age limits for judges. I just think we need to have competency limits. And clearly, he's not competent anymore. That score was so out of bounds, out of the realm of possibility of what happened, that it's you, you cannot defend it. It's equivalent to Adelaide Bird's scorecard for the first Canelo-Golovkin fight. That's the truth. So Lou Moret, you know, again, great contribution to the sport of boxing. But it's time for him 
to go off into the sunset and do some other things. Let him just come and enjoy the fights as an observer. He's earned that. But why can't we get fresh, young talent when it comes to boxing judges and referees? Why is that so difficult? I don't understand this. There are plenty of people out there, hundreds, dare I say thousands, of boxing fans all around the world who would happily, probably many of them for free, come and score fights. Now, are they going to score championship fights being broadcast on national TV for free? No. But undercard fights, amateur fights, I know a lot of people who already do that. There are people I know doing that, driving around, paying money, staying in hotels to do that stuff, and they're getting $50 stipends to do it. Okay, there's plenty of diehard fans who love this sport that would more than be they'd be more than happy to get involved. It is up to the powers that be in boxing to recruit that new talent. It's out there. But we do not need to have these dudes that were scoring championship fights in the 1980s still around today scoring championship fights. Okay, let's try to have like term limits. I'll give you 20 years. I'll give you 20 years to make a career. Think about it as a government job. You work for 20 years, and then you get your pension. It should be the same damn thing in boxing with the judges. All right. Uh, last Saturday, September 12th, ESPN Plus, Igadijis Kavliowskis. Try saying that name three times fast. TKO 8 win over Mikhail Zuski. Dropped him in the seventh and eighth. Zuski was up on two cards at the time of the stoppage. A lot of people made a lot about that on, on social media. I don't really look too much into that. Kavaliauskas had a rough fight against Bud Crawford. The, the Crawford haters and the top-ranked Bob Arum haters all made a big deal of the fact that the Mean Machine dropped Crawford in that fight. There was a flash knockdown. Crawford got up, made an adjustment, and beat the brakes off Kavaliauskas, who I still think is a damn good fighter, clearly a top-ten fighter in the welterweight division. And we give anyone in that division on the right night anyone a tough night at the office. He's a good fighter. And for Crawford to be able to turn it up and get him out of there the way he did, that win over Kavadiauskas and the win over Postal, mark my words, they will continue to age well. Trust me, okay? Bud Crawford's special. But this fight, Kavadiauskas, Zuski. So Kavadiauskas didn't look good early on. I think he was kind of fighting down to the level of his opposition, which has been a criticism of him from me for years. He's done this in plenty of fights. When he saw that he was behind, when his corner lit a fire under his ass, he came out there and got that dude out. So it shows that when he really is on and focused, he's a damn good welterweight. So he says he wants a Terrence Crawford rematch. I asked you guys on Twitter about that. And about 90% of you said, hell no, you're not interested in a rematch between Bud Crawford and Kavaliauskas. For the record, I'm not either. I I could give a damn to see that fight again. Um, What I'd like to see is Mean Machine against Ray Robinson again. They had a draw last March in Philly. I think that would be fun. Why not do that next? Why not see that one next? Unfinished business there. Let's get to it. Okay, so guys, I'm checking my messages. Hmm. It looks like, hang on one second. It looks like Michael Conlon might be having some technical issues. That's not good. So I don't know if he's going to be able to call in here. Let's see. We'll give him a few more minutes. But anyway, uh, phone lines are open. So if you guys want to get in uh, and talk about some of this stuff, let me know. 
if uh, if Michael can't call in, then it is what it is. We'll schedule him for another week. But um, okay, fight preview while we're waiting to see if Michael Conlon can call in. This Saturday, September 19th, top rank on ESPN Plus, Jose Pedraza, 27-3, and coming off a solid W last uh, this past July. Looked pretty good a couple months ago. Fighting Javier Molina, who is, I would call Molina a quality gatekeeper level fighter from California. And F.A. Ajagba, undefeated heavyweight prospect who everyone was really, really high on when he was decapitating dudes. Then he started fighting guys that forced him to show his skill set a little bit. He's looked vulnerable. Skill set was not being developed where he was at before. Just signed with top rank. This will be his first fight with them. They know how to build a prospect. So expect him to start to look better in his next few fights. Going up against a guy, Jonathan Rice, who was TKO'd in his last fight. Uh, in, that was in March. So I expect the Jagba to look good here. And again, top rank, best in the business at developing prospects. They have signed a crop of young heavyweights. So uh, I expect to see some good things from F.A. Ajagba in the near future. All right, let's see. All right, I think we got Michael on the line here. Let's jump over to the guest hotline. Mr. Conlin, is that you, sir? Doing good, man. Uh, Doing good. Your your phone's kind of low. Can you hear me okay? Michael, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. I can hear you, Mark. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, first of all, you're just coming off holiday in Portugal. How was that, man? Uh, what was that like, the situation with COVID and everything? Um, did that limit what you could do? And uh, how are you feeling? You know what? It was, it was fantastic. It was, uh, it was a great little bit of rest. Even though I didn't rest, I, tra- I trained every single day, but I was there. Hmm. Um, but the situation with um, COVID and stuff was, was no problem. Oh, cool. Okay. The hotel, and and that was it, really. Um, when you went for food, when you walked into the restaurant, you wear a mask. But when you sat down, you don't have to wear a mask. So <laughs> it's a bit, a bit crazy. But it's, it's, I was happy. I was able to go on holiday, enjoy some beautiful sunshine and, and nice beaches. So it was cool. Very cool. Yeah, I don't get the the rule where uh, I went out to a, a couple restaurants this weekend where you have to wear a mask when you walk in. Then you take off your mask when you sit down. It's the stupidest thing ever. But um, anyway, um, so you're coming off a, an impressive victory. You're 14-0, eight knockouts. You've been campaigning as a featherweight, but there's some rumors that you might try to move down to 122. Is that true, or are you going to stay at 126? No, I'm definitely moving down to 122. Um, the thing is, you know, I've been competing as a featherweight, but I started my career as a super bantamweight, and I, I'm a super bantamweight, so you know, I think that... I'm going to do the weights correctly, get down to the super bond weight, which I know I can. I couldn't be a super bond weight for my last fight if I needed to. But the fight was actually made pre-decision to move down, so it was a 128 for the opponent. So um, I was happy enough. I could have done 122. I made 126. And, you know, I, I'm ready to go. I faced any of the champions of 122 right now, and, and I believe I beat them. So is that the plan? Do you want to go right into a championship fight at 122, or do you think you need a fight or two 
to kind of reacclimate yourself to that division, then go for the world title shot? No, well, I think I'm at number two now in the WBO already in one two two, and I think Fulton and Leo were supposed to face each other in August, but right. Fulton, I think he failed for COVID, so Leo fought someone else, and now nah, I think he has to fight Fulton first. But I was going to be mandatory for 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 that fight, the winner of that fight, and you know I I, I want I, I would fight either of them right this second. Um, and I believe I would beat them right this second. So, you know, if I could get, if I get an opportunity to play for a title in my next fight, 100% will take it. But if we have to play, a, have a fight first before before we get the, the title chance, you know, that, that's no problem either. Is there, would you rather fight Leo or Fulton? Is there one of them you'd prefer, like style-wise, or does that not matter to you? No preference. No preference. Uh, okay. I'll beat either of them. And very, very, very confident of that. Um, I've seen both. I've watched both. Um, I actually know uh, Fulton a lot longer than I know Leo because I remember a box. I think it was after the 2012 Olympics. I boxed in, in Philadelphia on a little club show. It was just a little show for, show for me after the Olympics where I was away drinking. So <laughs> I was there and I boxed one of his teammates at, at late bit and I was only a flyweight at the time. And, you know, I beat the shit out of him. Decision in in <laughs> So I was there for drinking holiday anyway, so it wasn't really a problem. Um, but I watched him then, and I seen him play one of the guys from from the team I was on, and the guy was pretty inexperienced and give everything he wanted. So um, I've been watching. Him. I've seen his raids. I've seen his bars, Carl Frampton, and you know, I'm, I'm close friends with Carl, so I know I know a lot about him, and I'd be very confident to beating him. I'd be very confident to beating Leo also. Was um, when you when you saw Fulton, you fought in Philly. Was that part of the World Series of Boxing? Because I know you fought in like three different teams. You fought in the USA Knockouts, Team Germany, yeah. and the Italia Thunder, right? Yeah. No, it wasn't. It was um. Okay. It was just a little kind of club show. It wasn't even an Ar- a full Ireland squad or anything like that. It was just you know one of the local clubs from my local area were going over, and I did a snuck over sure and. You know, I'll go over. It was I think it was one of the Irish weekends and uh, in Wildwood, and you know it was an Irish festival. So I was just over having fun, and uh, I got to see it from there. Damn man, that sounds fun. I need to hit one of those. <laughs> one of the funnest times I've had in recent years, man. I covered a fight in New York uh, the same weekend of St. Patty's Day Parade in New York. I've never seen so many drunk people passed out on the subway, just going around the city. <laughs> It was freaking awesome in broad daylight. I mean, that was too much fun. Um, okay. You know, no. Speaking of the World Series of Boxing, though, you know, how do you feel about your experience with that? Would, would you recommend fighters do it? Because those fights kind of fall in between. They didn't count towards your pro career record. Do you think they should? Do you think they shouldn't? Would you recommend other fighters do it or no? No, it's still in the amateur um format of boxing is still in, it's maybe World Series of Boxing where you know it's like the day before weigh-in is probably the only thing was different now day before weigh-in and no rest the gloves are, are still like amateur gloves even though they're probably late um, but they're still padded um, no headgears there's no headgears in amateurs now so it's, so it's basically the same yeah I, I think you know I don't think it's it's typically pro fights unless you go on pro records because it's, say, it's like saying you're going in facing the best in the world because in the amateurs the best face the best all the time mm-hmm. and, and, and they win and they lose so it's no problem and, and 
doesn't really affect their income or anything like that. So um, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it'd be fair to be on pro records because that would be like basically like you facing you know world champions you know on a regular basis and and getting paid shit money. So, okay. so I don't think I don't think that would be fair to be on a pro record. But I think amateurs should definitely do it because. No, I was earning I was earning money from the from the WSP, and you know I thought it was very very good. And uh, I want to talk to you about the Olympics, man. Of course, you got onto the conscious of the American fans and a lot of fans around the world in the 2016 games when you gave the middle finger to the judges after being robbed against Vladimir Nikitin. Nikitin, um, I, I always want to ask you has. Did anybody from the AIBA or the uh, International Olympic Committee, did anybody from those organizations ever reach out to you to apologize or to, like, try to even talk to you about it? Or was it just dead silence? Um, no. So, so what happened with um, the Olympics, um, after I gave the finger and shit, uh, <laughs> I was actually fanned by by Aiba. It wasn't the Olympic Council never contacted me, um, but Aiba, the governing body of the of the boxing in the Olympics, they fanned me ten thousand, um, ten thousand Swiss, whatever it is, uh, which I never paid. I was never going to pay it because it's bullshit. But no, that was the only thing that happened. I I, I think so. I, I, they find you at the Olympics, but not on. I they 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 charged me they charged me because I flipped the bird and, and broke uh, a evil law or or kind of morals or whatever it is. Um, so they they paid me then for that, but it never it never it never got never happened. Never, I never done anything. Uh, and they also tried to fame me and uh, do other things because I was I was I, I was betting on the Olympics, but not on my fate or anything. It was just betting on boxing. So. Um, <laughs> they says I had too much information on boxing, which could have made me keep, which is bullshit because anything happened in boxing. That's hilarious. Yeah, I remember that. You were betting on fights, not your fights, but you were legally betting on yeah. other events in the Olympics. But they said it was unfair for you to do that because you had like boxing expertise or something. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was bullshit. <laughs> yeah, that's bullshit. ridiculous, so, man. You know, it was, Jesus, it was. Uh, it kind of took away my, my, my Olympic experience because I remember I love the Olympic Games. And when I grew up for, for boxing, you know, the first thing I ever watched really in boxing, well, one of my first memories was the Olympic Games. Um, my father used to sit us down every four years and we would have sat and watched it and stuff. So, um, yeah, it was it was uh, fantastic to see and something that I, I love to kind of watch. So, um I love the Olympics. I went in 2012 Olympics and got bronze, but had an amazing experience and uh, and opened my eyes and you know made me famous in my own country when I won a bronze medal. So mm-hmm. you know the Olympics was, uh, was always great, but that last one in, in Rio, you know, wasn't wasn't very good at all. So that's, it goes back kind of to the same question. I mean, would you recommend young fighters that, particularly fighters that uh, are, need money, you know, that come from a uh, lower income background. Would you recommend they go to the Olympics or just skip it and go pro where they can start making money? No, definitely. I I, I will never not recommend the Olympics. Um, okay. No, I think it's it's um, the Olympics is unbelievable. Uh, and if you go and you medal at the Olympics or if you go and make a name for yourself at the Olympics, you're automatically adding zeros to saying on bonuses or 
you know, purses, whatever it is. You, once once you go to the Olympics and you're kind of known, even if you're Olympian, like Tiafimo Lopez, you know what I mean? So, mm. um, when, you, when you go to the Olympics and, and, and get that kind of backing and kind of the, 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 the general media, the non-boxing media start to know you, it, it, it helps big time for the pro game. So, um, I definitely think the Olympics is, is, is a must. And, and just the experience in terms of boxing in general, um, going to the Olympic Games, you're, you're in there with the best of the best and you're competing on the biggest stage in the world um, with all the eyes of the world on you. So if you're going to that and, and performing with that, you're obviously going to do yourself well on the program. And you got a chance to avenge that, that robbery against Nicotine. You beat him uh, last year in New York City. Another fighter that you lost to in the amateurs was Robisi Ramirez. I think you lost to him in the 2012 games. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but is that would you like to rematch him if you could uh, in the pros and, and fight him if you could? He's with top rank as well. Yeah, some stage 100. I would love that. You know, um, Robisi's back in the in the building fields as well. After you know he had a, a loss in his his debut, which. Mm-hmm. It was unfortunate, but he looks like he he's back to what he's doing and and, and looking good now under Shmuel Salas. So, you know, I, I'm happy to see it. You know, I, I stay in touch with all these kind of guys um, and keep eyes on them, who I, who I know from the amateur game. And and you know, you'd be friendly enough because you're you've seen each other on the circuit throughout the years yeah. uh, in the amateur. And obviously, Rabisi, you know, I've I've seen him since the 2012 Olympics, really, and. I have a lot of respect for him. I, I read him as a fighter, and you know, uh, I would 100 love to face him again one day. And you, when you first started, I was actually at your pro debut in New York, which was an awesome event. You had Conor McGregor there with you. Awesome, awesome event. That was so much fun. But um, you started training with Manny Robles in California, there in South LA. And in 2018, you moved over with Adam Booth. Uh, is there any particular reason why you made that move? Is it just to be like closer to family, or is there a strategic reason that you made that move? No, there, there was there was a few things that come into the bargain. You know, obviously, my my, my partner Shauna, she had she had fell pregnant again, right. and I wasn't going to be living so far from home with with two kids with it and support them, especially when I'm in training camp. I'm as useless as an ice tray on a motorbike. You know, there's there's no point to me even being there. So, um, it's like we needed to go home and kind of get more support around that. And then at the same time, you know, I I learned my kind of trail of that Mexican style and that you know up close toughness of of Southern California, which you know was to bring those kind of gyms. And you know, I felt like I needed to get back to what I do best, and that's using my using my feet, using my using my boxing brain and my boxing ability. And, you know, I, I looked at the coaches because I knew I was going to go back because of the baby. That was the main reason. Um, but, you know, I, I looked at the coaches back in the UK and there was only one coach who wanted to train with, which was Adam Booth, because I believe his technical style and technical kind of prowess is, is what suits me. So mm-hmm. um, that's, that's the reason. That's basically the, the full kind of start why you know, I came back. Well, with Adam... You're closer to home, which is great because you're closer to family, but you're also closer to friends, to the pubs, to temptations. How do you stay disciplined being closer to home where your friends are, they want to go out, get a pint? How does that work? No, well, for the last, I think it was like a year or two ago when I was speaking um, 
I think it was like one of the things we've seen Andre Ward said, I think, on, on Twitter or something about like, you know, dedicating yourself and living the life and, you know, it, it, all these little things which need to be done to make you that, give you the extra 1% or the extra half percent to make you better. And, you know, I just said, you know, what's the point of, uh, of me even drinking? You know what I mean? I, don't, mm-hmm. I, don't, I wasn't a big drinker anyway, really. Even being an ice person, no, I wouldn't be a big drinker. <laughs> and if, if I wasn't there, I should think I'm not a big drinker. So um, I just, just, there's no point of me drinking until after my career is, is finished because, you know, I want to give this 100%. I want to achieve all I'm able to achieve. I want to reach my potential, and uh, and I believe that's one of the kind of key elements is is living the life, living, being a professional twenty four seven, you know, three hundred sixty five days a year. So, you know, I decided you no, know, there's no point in doing that. There, the training camp, it's not actually in Ireland, so it's mm-hmm. in England. So I'm actually away from friends when I'm in training camp. The bit, the, the probably the height of my day is probably sitting down and playing Call of Duty. So. You know, it's, it's, it's not too much entertaining when I'm in training camp. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Um, one of our viewers asked in the chat, he talked about uh, Patty Donovan training with Andy Lee and looking really good. And he, he just asked if you'd ever be interested in training with Andy Lee um, or, you know, if, if you have a relationship with him, if you know Andy at all. Yeah, and I know Andy very well. Adam, my coach, actually trained Andy for his world title and trained him for the, the kind of the the last period of his career after Emmanuel Stewart. So, you know, Adam's Adam's uh sorry, Andy has learned a lot from Adam and you know I would if, if Adam was the training fighter, I'd probably train with Andy, you never know, you know what I mean? So yeah. It would definitely be a thought that would cross my mind. Um but I've known Andy for years. Um he's always been a big kind of supporter a supporter of me throughout the amateurs and always kind of giving me, you know, props and stuff and I always had always looked up to him and obviously being a world champion from Ireland. There's always someone, even in the amateurs, you know, here in Ireland, in the amateurs, the coaches always t- told us, like, look at Andy Lee and kind of implementing things from his style from when he was an amateur. So, you know, he's always been a, a, a big figure in Irish boxing, someone you always looked up to. How, what do you think about the, the state of boxing right now, coming back from, from COVID, you know, the, the lockdowns and, and all of that, no fans at the fights? Here in America the the viewership has been down uh, i mean do you ex- when do you expect that to come back and are you concerned at all you know because sports has been struggling with you know viewership here in the united states i'm not sure how it's going over there but what kind of concerns do you have as things get back you know with with fans and everything at the fights um you don't really know what's going on to me, but with everything that's going on in this world who knows what's going to happen? Um, yeah. You know, it's it's like um, it's like the end of the world. It looks like you know, never mind. You know, uh, it's like when I, never never mind. You know, the the world going broke. We could have a fucking great depression coming up here with with how much you know financial yeah. cause and damage has been done. Um, so you know, I can't really look at that and, uh, and worry about boxing or anything because there's an awful lot. People, awful lot of people are worse off than me in the world at the moment. Um, Dan and uh, I'm broke, so I'm in a, I'm in a good position. I'm healthy. I'm happy. Um, I don't know what way boxing is gonna is gonna go. Um, I hope it kind of goes up. It's it's the boxing always seems to live on, and no matter what's happened in the world, no matter what's happened with boxing, it always seems to you know hang on and stay in there. So 
you know, I hope I hope it does, and I hope you know everything everything remains the same or starts to get better again. I'm unsure. What what is the US saying about when fans will be back? Because that's that's what I want to know. I want to win yeah. more to have audiences back in the arenas, but that's that's one I'll be looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, some people say, "Oh, I like it without the fans because you can hear the action more." I I fucking hate it. I want the fans back. I think. The fan atmosphere, and I think you're a fighter that thrives off that energy. I can tell just by the way you fight that you enjoy that energy. It motivates you. Um, it just it adds an extra element. And like think you know that I don't know if you saw that Povetkin knockout over Dillian White. That was an amazing knockout. It was the knockout of the year. But with no fans there, it it just felt bizarre, man. Like you imagine if that was at O2 Arena or something. The place where the roof would have flew off. You know what I'm saying? Like we gotta have fans back. Yeah, I definitely agree. And um, especially, you know, I have a huge fan base, uh, and they're all craning for when it's gonna happen. Even when I was telling about people unboxing here, unboxing in the UK, um, you, you just can't come. People are still, we're gonna put flights and we're gonna come over. I'm like, no, no fans are allowed to go, so you you can't. Um, people just aren't getting the grips of it they're they're not understanding why um mm-hmm. but i i can't wait for him to come back but at the same time when i boxed in Lunar three four weeks ago whatever it was with no fans i loved it i thought it was it was it was good i, I enjoyed it i enjoyed hearing hearing the shots i enjoyed seeing the winston and you know the crowd not trying right when you hear when you when you notice someone's hurt so um it's uh it's interesting. I I don't mind it either way. I obviously I want fans back because it makes the kind of whole event. But when mm-hmm. I'm facing the opponent, it doesn't matter if there's fans or or if there's no fans. So if they told me in the morning, listen, you're gonna have to face Andrew Leo or you know Stephen Fulton for for WOT in front of no fans, I'd say no problem. Let's do it tomorrow. Let's do it. Let's do another back garden. It's no problem. You know what I mean? So right. uh, that's that's my mindset at the minute, and that's what I'm feeling. You know, Mark in the chat brought up an interesting question. He asked, and you, you can answer this or you don't have to answer this, but he, he asked, is it disappointing for Michael that due to certain political reasons in Ireland, we can't have an amazing event at Croquet Park? C-R-O-K-E, I apologize if I'm pronouncing that wrong, Croquet Park, because I'm sure that'd be a massive dream to sell out Croquet Park. So can you answer that or are you comfortable answering that? No, I, I, I believe one day you know if you look at boxing over the last few years in Ireland before any political things or anything happened there was no big events in Croke Park so you know hopefully you know one day very soon you know that that stuff can be you know that that fight, that kind of show can happen in Croke Park but you know it needs to be a huge fight you need to kind of have uh, in my opinion to have a, a big huge fight in Croke Park you need to have a heavyweight and it doesn't seem like I don't have a heavyweight at the moment but um, and we're all small people, so I don't know how much heavy it's going to be coming from here. Uh, but yeah, listen, I would love to play Crow Park. It is, you know, it's 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 you know, it is what it is. There's nothing to do with it. Croke Park. All right, so I'm sorry I butchered that. But uh, so you think it'd have to be a heavyweight fight? But what? Who do you think? I mean, honestly, if you're, we're talking about super fights, big well, I fights, think, I think I, I think the only big fight that has ever happened in Crow Park was Muhammad Ali. If I'm not, if, I, if I'm if I'm wrong, I, I don't know, but I know Muhammad Ali. I think he boxed in Croke Park. I know he boxed in Ireland. I think it was Croke Park. So okay. I think that was probably the only boxing fight ever. So 
that's the magnitude of, of, of a person need to that's have a, that's a, a big part. standard to live up to yeah um yeah mark in the chat is saying that you're right it's it's muhammad ali yeah he fought there um who would be the biggest name opponent that you believe over the course of your career whether it's next year five years from now whatever who is the biggest name you think that you could fight? The biggest event? Is there a name out there or like a super fight that you dream of or do you not know? I don't really know. I probably love Machenko. Um, okay. He would probably be the biggest name out there in my opinion. I think he's playing for pound number one. So, And he's close. He's in around lightweight, super featherweight, um, featherweight even. So, and after I win a world title at 122, I'll definitely go up to featherweight. So, you know, that's that's my plan. And, and if Lomachenko was there and he was the super fight, no problem. You know what I mean? I would definitely take it because he is one of my uh, idols, if I'm honest. You know, someone I've always looked up to because of the kind of amateur background I have. And he was so successful. So, um, yeah, it's, that would probably be the biggest one. How do you think he's going to do against Lopez? Who, how do you see that fight playing out, Lobachenko Lopez? I probably I want I really like Tiafimo Lopez and and I would probably want him to win because he's a real nice guy, a real cool guy. But so is Lomachenko. Um But I think Lomachenko wins. I, I do think he wins. Um, if I'm going to be honest and be straight, I think Lomachenko wins. Um, I don't I don't know who can who who would be who would beat him. I think he beats. I think he beats Tiafimo. I think he beats Gervonta. Uh, I think he beats Haney. Um, all comfortably, too, really. Um, I don't think he's going to be in much trouble. Probably Gervonta will probably give him the most trouble, but I probably think Tiafimo will give him second, the second kind of hardest fight. And I think he would destroy Haney. You think he'd destroy Haney, really? Well, not destroy him, but, you know, just beat him very comfortably. What about uh, Stevenson, Shakur Stevenson? The Shakur, well, partly Shakur gave him, you know, a lot, a lot of toughness in, in, in sparring. Um, I know he he hasn't said much about it, but I, I heard, you know, he, he he gave a really good account of himself. So, hmm. you know, he's probably one who who, who could ask a few questions of him, but I don't know really. Would you have, would you ever fight Shakur? Definitely, you know, 100%. Uh, I think it was top, top rank talking about it before. And, and you know, if I, if I, once I move back up featherweight there, uh, and even if I can get up to featherweight and he's still there, you know, I'd definitely fight up where both champions are. Yeah, I mean, you got some, some interesting fights potentially down the line. I mean, I get the business move going down to 22, and, and I agree with you. I think that you could, you could win that title down there, but. Down the line, I mean, a fight between you and Shakur Stevenson, I think that'd be a good fight, big fight. Of course, you and Lomachenko would be a really, really big fight. Is um, You mentioned, you know, admiring Loma because of his amateur pedigree. Uh, Giuseppe in the chat asked, uh, who is your favorite fighter to watch today and who is your favorite fighter to watch as a kid? Um, today, it's Lomachenko. Um, okay. Lomachenko and Crawford two who I enjoy most. I enjoy watching both of them a lot. If I'm going to be honest, I enjoy watching Lomachenko more because his his complete and other technical technical dominance is unbelievable. How he does things, what he does, all the little movements he makes, and how hard and energy so absorbent that is. And he does it so easy without 
anything. So, you know, he's definitely the favorite I kind of enjoy watching most. Um, and then when I was growing up, Prince Nassim was the guy I loved. Um, I see. He's, the guy, he's the reason I, I love to have the big interest in his stuff because <laughs> Nassim was, was just entertainment. You know, I didn't really like his how arrogant he was and how he was probably as the person, but, you know, as he was, his arrogance when he was coming to the ring and when he was in the ring, I loved that. So, you know, they were, they, they're the two. Interesting. Yeah, because I can see a little bit of that Naz influence with your ring entrances. Uh, they're always fun, man. Yeah, you know, that's the reason I've always said, you know, I want to do it like Naz done it and entertain them before the entertainment starts. That's great, man. Uh, Mike, I thank you so much for being on the show. I know it's getting late over there. You got two little ones, uh, and I know you're just getting back off holiday. So thank you so much for being on. We'll do it again soon when you got a fight scheduled. Uh, have a great night, my man. Cheers, my teammate. Take care. Take care. Okay. Thank you. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. I thought uh, he did awesome once we got him on. He was on a little bit late. But that's okay. He was fashionably late. Great interview with Michael Conlon. And we've been um, trying to get this scheduled for a while. So um, once we got that done, uh, it was good. It was worth it. It was an awesome interview. And we'll definitely have him back on. One of the cooler personalities in the sport, you know. So, um, look, there's guys from all over the world, uh, as I talk about all the time in this sport, that bring so much different uh, points of view and richness and life to this sport. And I love talking to all the different personalities and, you know, some, some guys I interview and talk to, and they're really stiff and they're really difficult to, to penetrate, you know, and, and get into their personality a little bit. They stay very stoic. Canelo Alvarez, for example, one of those guys, right? Michael Conlon is just one of those dudes that's just open and he'll just tell it to you straight. Sometimes He'll use some swear words. Hey, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I do it a lot myself. God damn it. And uh, he's just a really cool guy, man. He's one of my favorite dudes in boxing. He's also a fun follow on Twitter. And uh, he's one of those guys, like, you guys know that I like to troll and post jokes and stuff on Twitter. And he likes, you know, he likes a lot of those trolling posts that I do. He retweets them. He likes them. He enjoys a good laugh. He doesn't take himself too seriously, and he's not concerned with being politically correct. We saw that in the Olympics when he flicked off the judges who had just screwed him. So um, that, that's just one of the reasons why I like him. He's also a pretty damn good fighter. Okay, um, I see a couple of you guys on the phone lines. So I'm going to get to you in just a second. I just realized I have to preview this uh, PBC on Showtime card. I didn't get to preview it, so let me do that real quick. Stay on the phone line. Stay on hold, okay? Um, because PBC on Showtime, brought by TGB Promotions at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Cansville, Connecticut. That show, I will be covering that show for ringtv.com. So look for my recaps on Ring's site that night. By the way, the new Manny Pacquiao special edition issue is about to drop soon. But if you guys haven't picked up the October issue yet, you should. And for those of you who have, you already know. There's an article of mine in there on Joshua Franco. I'm trying to flip to it right now real quick as I talk. Let me continue to... Oh, here we go. Here we go. The Graduate. That's what we titled it. Right there. The Joshua Franco article. This was a big uh, story because you know Joshua Franco is one of those guys for Golden Boy that they picked up from the cradle, so to speak. And they brought him up 
in their farm system on those um, LA Fight Club cards downtown at the Pulasco Theater. And it kind of built him up. And now he has a portion of a world title after beating Maloney. And he wants Chocolatito next. And I really think that fight could be a real possibility in 2021. So, uh, yeah, check out my piece on Joshua, the Professor Franco, okay, in the latest issue of Ring. And then the Manny Pacquiao Special Edition about to drop that should hit stores soon. For those of you who are subscribed, it should be arriving in your mailbox soon. I have a special uh, article in there where I talk to Freddie Roach and Steve Kim of ESPN, who was there at the, who trains regularly, even today, at the Wild Card Gym in Hollywood. But Steve was there during the evolution of Manny Pacquiao over the last 20 years almost. And of course, Freddie Roach, that's his gym. So I talked to Freddie about the evolution of Manny Pacquiao over the years, a career that spanned more than 20 years now, and Steve Kim. And wrote a long article. It's a big, long article there in that issue of the magazine. So make sure you check it out. Okay, so Erickson Lubin taking on Terrell Goucher. A lot of you may not know this. Erickson Lubin, 22-1, former Ring Magazine and ESPN Prospect of the Year. I think he was our 2016 Prospect of the Year. People were really high on him. 21-1, Goucher is 21-1-1. So these guys have very similar career numbers, even though at one point Lubin was maybe higher up on the prospect list. Actually, Goucher has a better amateur record. I think he was in the World Series of Boxing as well, and the Olympics, of course. So um, anyway, this is a great crossroads fight. This is a really, really good crossroads fight. Lubin, that KO1 loss to Jermel Charlo in 2016, he's 4-0 since. Wins over an old Ishe Smith, and a beat-up, faded Nathaniel Gallimore. Those are good-looking wins, decent names, but I think somewhat misleading. Because if you look at Ishe Smith and Nathaniel Gallimore, their records coming into their fights with Erickson Lubin, their recent records, the three or four fights before fighting him, and fights they had afterwards, uh, you'll see that they didn't do very good, Okay. So those wins are good for him against guys with experience, but they were faded. Now, Boucher, coming off a draw with Austin Trout that most people, myself included, felt he won. Uh, somewhat misleading, though, as well, because let's say he gets the W over Trout, which he should have. That's That looks good. Trout's an experienced opponent. At one point, was a top-rated fighter, but he was 1-3 in three coming into that fight. With Goucher. So both of these guys have been on a little run recently since their first loss, but there's still a lot of unanswered questions. The edge on paper, again, Goucher has that amateur pedigree, was in the Olympics, World Series of Boxing experience. He has faced the better opposition, and you could argue he's done better overall against the better opposition. Lubin, though, just seems to have a little more of that twitchiness. The burst of his punches, the snap and pop, the speed. So this is a pick em fight, man. 50-50. And again, I'll be covering this for ringtv.com. So check out my piece there. Also in the uh, co-main, Tugsat Nyambar, King Tug, 11-1. Making his comeback from that loss to Gary Russell Jr. earlier this year in February. Canada Chris says, shit or get off the time. Shit or get off the pot time for Lubin. I concur. You could say the... The same for both, though. You really could. 
1999 the chat says Lubin will likely win a 9-3 decision. Hmm. Interesting. We shall see. Also on this card, Jerron Boots Ennis, 25-0. Blue chip prospect. If you were going to buy stock in a fighter, Boots Ennis is one of the fighters you would want to put money in. Okay, Invest in him. Blue chipper all the way. Going up against Juan Carlos Abreu, a Dominican who, again, I would kind of use uh, the term gatekeeper, solid gatekeeper level opponent with experience. I used that to describe Javier Molina earlier. Same thing with Juan Carlos Abreu. Good opponent for Ennis at this stage of his career. So we'll see what he does. I think he's going to look real good in this fight. That's a decent little card there from uh, PBC on Showtime. The Showtime schedule from PBC is solid. The, sh- the Fox schedule on, uh, from PBC is dog shit. So, uh, you know, either way, I get accused of being a PBC critic, but I just keeps it real. That's what I do. And again, I'll be covering another PBC event for a ring. All right, guys, uh, do we have any more calls? Oh, you guys, they're on the lines dropped off. Hey, I can't always get right to you. You don't have to drop off, though. Anyway, let's see. Uh, Canada Chris in the chat says, Boots will need to become mandatory to get a shot. I completely agree with you. If he starts rocking with the uh, the PBC, he'll eventually get a mandatory position with the BC or BA for one of their 5,000 titles. I expect him to fight for a title in 2021. Okay, mark my words. He will fight for a piece of a title in 2021. All right, guys. I think we hit every base. I saw a couple of you in the chat ask for or ask about the Canelo lawsuit being dismissed. I talked about that at the top of the show. I'll just real quickly say again. It was over a technicality, which basically shows that Canelo's lawyers, look, you had one job. The one thing about lawyers, when you go to, the reason why lawyers are so damn expensive is because they handle all that paperwork shit for you, okay? I recently had to deal with legal stuff. I recently got married. So when when you're doing name changes and, and marriages and joining accounts and all this stuff and you need legal representation, the one thing you depend on with lawyers is to get the damn paperwork right. But with this lawsuit, they screwed up the paperwork. There's verbiage in there that they screwed up. And because of that technicality, a court, the U.S. court dismissed it and said, this lawsuit is dog shit. Amend it and get it back to us. So uh, they can amend it. They can fix the verbiage and they can resubmit it, reissue it, whatever the legal term is. And I expect them to do that. But it's a, it was already a bad look for Canelo to sue uh, people because to sue DAZN and Golden Boy because he didn't want uh, to take less money against a top opponent. He was willing to take less money for a dog shit opponent, but he was only willing to go down, I think, to like 25 mil to fight a guy like Callum Smith. Meanwhile, I just got off the phone with Michael Conlin, who is saying, talking about staying humble and, you know, talking about feeling blessed because people around the world are struggling right now and he's blessed to be able to feed his family and everything through boxing. Two completely different mindsets. <laughs> really, really bad look from Canelo already. And then his legal team fucks up the paperwork. It took an even bad look and made it worse. And listen, there are some unreasonable, over-the-top Canelo haters out there, okay? Dog Fisher calls them the salty society. And he's right. There are people out there, Canelo could cure cancer. And there are people out there who say, what about AIDS? Okay, there are those people. I'm certainly not one of those people. I think Canelo Alvarez is one of the top five fighters on earth. 
He's damn good at what he does, okay? But he's also not above criticism. And it's very, very fair to criticize this look from him. Just the timing of it, all right? If it were me, again, and I've said this consistently over the past week or so since this whole lawsuit thing came out. If it were me and I were on Team Canelo, I would say, you know what? We're taking one from the team. We're going to take one from the team here. We're going to accept $15 million and fight Callum Smith. We're going to go over to the UK, whatever it is, fight Callum Smith. We'll take 15. We'll give Callum 8 or 10, whatever it takes to get this fight. We'll get it done. We'll win the lineal ring magazine championship at 168. Take another dude's O. Be the ring champ at two different weights at the same time, 160 and 168. The last guy to do that was Joe Calzaghi, I think at 68 and 75. And then next year, we'll go back to 35 million. He would have saved a lot of face there. Long term, it would have looked better for him. But he ultimately went the other way. All right, guys. uh, Good show and a great interview with Michael Conlon. Seems like a really good dude. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Enjoy the fights this weekend. And uh, check out my stuff. Um, Current issue of Ring Magazine. Next issue of Ring Magazine. And this weekend at ringtv.com. All right? I'll see you at the fights.